Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. This is Episode 3, Ergonomic Command Center. Welcome to another episode of EdTech Examined. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing awesome. How about you? Awesome. That's great. I wish I had thought of awesome. I don't have a good word. How about fabulous? Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Let's get right into our office hours. So for this segment, uh, we call it office hours because you've got questions for tech and we've got answers. Our question today is, what is your advice for creating an ergonomic teaching workspace at home? So Chris and I both have a few thoughts on this. Uh, did you want to get it started, Chris? We have a list of notes here, just so our users can be interested in our inside baseball. We do, we do prepare these episodes. We do have notes. So you just want to pick some things from this list and I'll, I'll just jump in. Yeah, for sure. I think one uh, aspect for that you should definitely consider is having an external monitor. But having an external monitor in itself, it, a lot of people, it depends on how it's set up and you want to get it to eye level. So uh, and I think what we'll do also is maybe take pictures of our kind of command centers that we have. Uh, I know that Eric's already shared it previously on Twitter, so maybe we'll actually show you how our setups are. But um, I have two ASUS monitors, which I have propped up on a monitor stand uh, to bring it up more to eye level. And so I think that's very important, especially if you're spending a large amount of time at your desk. Uh, so uh, otherwise what will happen is it'll strain your neck and uh, cause uh, pain and stuff. So uh, that's one suggestion that I would make. And uh, for myself, uh, again, you'll see in my setup, uh, I actually have both PC and Mac, but I mainly use my Mac setup. So uh, in a essence, what I have is uh, my MacBook Pro is acting as a monitor. I have an Apple Cinema display that's acting as a monitor. And then I have one of my Asus and so uh, in um, actuality, I basically have access to three monitors and it, you know, you might think it's like overkill and maybe it, it, it probably is almost looking like a Star Trek kind of <laughs> command center that I have set up here. But uh, I find it very useful, uh, especially even in terms of work, like beyond actual facilitating classes or what have you, but uh, especially when you're doing like web design, or any of those kind of uh, intensive um, uh, fields of work. Uh, it's nice to have access and see all that information at once uh, and you don't have to go back from screen to screen. Uh, uh, Chris, I have a question for you. Do you, for your uh, Mac, do you have that on a monitor or on a laptop stand or is it flat on the table? Yeah, so the monitor or the, the laptop itself is on a, uh, an actual stand as well. Yeah, so uh, that's the other thing, uh, just to, again, bring it up to uh, the uh, eye level height. I mean, it's a little bit lower, uh, but it, still, it's pretty good. Um, and the one that I've used, uh, and I've had it for years now. Uh, in fact, I actually have two of them because I have one for my actual office and then one at home. Uh, but uh, it's from a company called Rain, and it's a, an M stand is what it's called. And they actually have an M stand that now... Uh, I guess they must have released a new model, but uh, it actually swivels. 
I don't know if that's the best move. Uh, I, I actually prefer mine that, that I got originally, which doesn't swivel because especially with all the wires and everything. But yeah, so I, I propped it up by actually uh, raising it uh, using that M stand. It has a nice finish. It matches the aluminum finish of the, uh, uh, the MacBook, so. That's a good point. I wish I had a stand. I've never used one because I've always used the the laptop screen. So I do have a two. It's not a mirror display. I have them as two separate screens. But I've always used the the laptop as kind of a secondary display. So I don't mind it being lower. But I really should uh, raise it up on a stand. That would be better. Of course, I went and bought a new MacBook Pro that is space gray, and I can't find a nice matching stand for it. So maybe I have to get some sort of faux wood. Yeah. Uh, Although I, I believe actually, if you go to that rain uh, company, I believe they've actually now matched those other finishes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that's maybe good. take a look. Um, yeah. And then uh, I guess the other thing that we talked about as well is uh, the importance of having an ergonomic keyboard. And so I just recently got a new one. Uh, in the past, I used to use a Microsoft ergonomic keyboard and it was wired. And so now I got a wireless one which is through um, logitech actually I, it seems like i have a lot of my gear now uh, who knows maybe logitech will have to go and sponsor us as well as apple but uh, a lot of my stuff is like logitech or apple for whatever reason and uh, so uh, but i think maybe they're just taking that attention to uh, care so not only do i have a ergonomic keyboard i also got a vertical uh, ergonomic mouse from Logitech and so both of them they they've recreated both devices from scratch went to the drawing board uh, maybe I'll share the links to those uh, two devices but it took a little bit of getting used to on the the vertical mouse but for myself especially spending the amount of time and when I say to you like I've been working remotely I try to work as uh, much as I can remotely for years. So I've probably been doing it since the early 2000s. And uh, I find, especially with uh, from a mouse standpoint, and I've I've had them all. I have the the trackpad that's uh, standalone. I've had the Magic, I think it's called the Magic Mouse from Apple. Uh, so I've tried all those ones, but at the end of it, I get uh, pain in my wrist by going and repetitively doing the same uh, clicking actions or what have you. So uh, last year I, I kind of started looking into this and then I finally, it is a little bit expensive, but then I got this vertical mouse. And so I, I think it's, I, I personally really like it. And uh, the other thing that you should also look into is um, a lot of times you can actually get some of this stuff uh, as educators on a discount. So here in Calgary, like one of the companies that you could go to is Memory Express. And Memory Express, their policy is as long as you, and even for students themselves, if you go and bring in your student ID or your staff ID, their policy is to have cost plus. And so whatever their cost is, and then they'll add in like, I think it's like 10% or something. And so uh, it's a good option. And a lot of times we also have professional development funds that you can go and use. And so, uh, you know, these are things that, uh, yeah, I don't know if you'd be, dropping $150 or $130 or whatever for a mouse or a keyboard. But uh, my opinion is that you only have one body, you got to take care of it. And if I can't go and function properly, uh, I think that investment is worth it. And uh, something like this, it's going to probably be useful for the next like five years, if not more. 
Yeah, I mean, this equipment is, is, a, is a worthwhile investment. I think of things in terms of cost per use. So my cost per use is incredibly low because I use a keyboard for hours every single day. Um, on, the, on the mouse side, I've been using a vertical mouse for a long time. So I originally had pain as a, in my wrist as a result of a, a kind of a student summer job that I had using a traditional mouse. I'd used, I've been a PC gamer for a long time and never had a problem. For whatever reason, that job made my wrist flare up a little bit. So I have a wired vertical mouse by Evoluent. These are pretty expensive. For a long time, Evoluent, which is still a solid company, and they make wireless versions as well, was kind of the only game in town. But I think the Logitech vertical mouse is probably superior. The one nice thing I'll say about having a wireless mouse is that it has a little bit more weight to it. The problem with a vertical mouse is that you're kind of clicking. You're not using the weight of your hand to click down. You're clicking on an angle. So if you have a very hollow, light-feeling mouse, which is mine, it almost kind of feels like you're going to knock it over. From what from what I've tried from the Logitech Vertical MX Vertical, that is fantastic because you have a lot of kind of weight to it. So it seems really meaty. I want to go back to keyboards for a second. So Chris, you have a split keyboard, right? Yeah. And that the Logitech one is a split one. Yeah. So it's uh, it's the Logitech split one. It, it just came out this year. So. So I use two different kinds. So I have a. Well, I'm not in my work office now. My work office, I actually have a standing desk. So um, the the keyboard that I bought is a is a Microsoft split keyboard. The Sculpt, I believe is what it's called, or maybe it's not. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, there's also a, a, an additional mouse that you can get with it at the same time that's almost like a vertical mouse. It's in a unique design because not only is it split, but it also has a riser. So when I'm standing up on a desk, if you have, if you're standing at a, a standing station, if you like that, that means that the keyboard can remain flat even when you're standing. One of the things I notice is that keyboard keyboards are very personal. So split keyboards are great for some people; they're not great for others. I I use them interchangeably. That doesn't make a huge difference for the ergonomics for me. What makes a difference is the angle of the keyboard itself. So the split keyboard that I have at work can be raised up. So when I'm standing, my elbows are parallel, which is what you want. You don't want your wrists on an, a high angle facing up or down because that puts pressure on some of the nerves in the wrist. At home, I actually use also a Logitech wireless keyboard. Uh, it's not particularly ergonomic, but it's ergonomic in the sense that it, it sense that it's very flat uh, and it's very tactile and easy to press. It has circular keys. It's also valuable that it has multiple inputs. So it's a Bluetooth keyboard and I have three Bluetooth inputs so I can switch between my Mac, my phone, which I never use it for, and my iPad. So I can switch between all devices. It's a multi-input device. Yeah, actually with uh, the vertical uh, Logitech mouse and keyboard, uh, I also have those, uh, like the three uh, Bluetooth inputs. So it's it's nice when I I can go and switch from between my PC to the Apple uh, MacBook as well. The last thing about ergonomics that I might mention is a good chair. I prefer chairs that are lower back. People sit at a computer for a long time, their shoulders, uh, you know, stretch in. Uh, being a kind of a weightlifter person that I am, I'm always using a low back chair because it allows me to stretch back easier and do some exercises. Some people prefer a high back chair uh, with more lumbar support, that kind of stuff. I think the most important thing, regardless of the back height, is again that your wrists are kind of parallel with the table, meaning that they're not at a weird angle. And it's ideal to have some sort of wrist rest 
but you have to be careful i find where you put it so if you're if you're resting or resting your elbows on the funny bone the whole time that can cause some real irritation for people it can cause numbness and tingling anywhere where there's like a nerve bundle in your body you don't want to kind of sit on that for too long yeah no for sure and uh, funny enough or like a, the chair side of things uh, i i might have gone and spent maybe too much but early on uh, back in the, I think this was early 2000s, one of the, the most uh, significant purchases I ever made was getting an Aeron chair. And so Aeron uh, chair, you probably have seen it in a lot of the tech companies have it. Uh, it's usually in the movies. Uh, at that time, I believe the, the chair cost me over 1500 bucks. And so this was like early 2000s. And anyways, it's supposed to be the most ergonomic chair ever. And I still have it. And it, funny enough, I, since then, I actually have four. And so I, I have uh, some in my office. Uh, I have one at my parents' house. And then I have uh, uh, at my home house uh, uh, office, I have two. And so just kind of uh, amassed this collection. But I have to say it is probably the best uh, chair possible out there. Um, the one that I use daily is actually a stool. So with the stool, uh, it allows me to, if I want to, I can go and uh, actually have my desk, which is at a higher height, uh, sit down at, at the actual desk, or I can stand up as well. And the other thing you mentioned too, Eric, about like having a, um, a desk that uh, is a standing desk. This was something I think that did come in as a question of, of whether I should get like a standing desk or a regular desk. And ultimately, a lot of uh, people... Uh, they kind of go towards the standing desk thinking that they're going to be more active. Really, at the end of the day, I think it's that you just got to keep moving and you got to change up that behavior. And so one of my tactics that I always use is um, I just keep drinking water. And that forces me to go, not only am I hydrating my body, but then it forces me to get up. And so that, you know, at least then you're getting up and about because you never know, like even just yesterday when we were working together, all of a sudden, it, it was like an hour and a half that we were working together, and I, I just the time flew by so quickly. I mean, you make a really good point about standing versus sitting. I actually, I have a friend of mine who's an occupational therapist. We had a ergonomic specialist at Mount Royal at my institution, and one of the things I've been told consistently is that standing desks are great, but standing all day can actually be as problematic as sitting all day. What's really important is movements. Uh, I'm not a physical therapist. My understanding, though, is that joints require constant movement or as much movement regularly as possible. So getting up and moving around or even moving your legs every you know, 20, 30 minutes is really important. I do use a standing desk at work, like I said, and I find it very helpful. I think it's also largely dependent on, on your profession. When I was at the university, I would be sitting in my office for an hour, hour and a half, or standing in my office, but then I would have to walk to a meeting. In the classroom, I'd be walking around, I'd be getting up and down, helping students. So I have a very active job. It's actually not that sedentary. But if you're an online-only instructor, there's a lot of online institutions, you may want to find a desk that's easy, if you do want to stand, that's easy to change between standing and sitting. Some of them are manual, some of them are, are motorized. Something to look into because you kind of want to change that up. In addition to having my chair, I also sit occasionally on an exercise physio ball just so I can kind of roll around and stretch my back and stuff like that. So I think constant movement and I change up my settings. I want to mention one thing about the mouse. Actually, as I'm doing this, because I have a laptop to the left of me and I have a mouse to the right, I actually 
often switch to using the laptop trackpad with my left hand to give my right hand a break. So I'm not constantly using the same hand to do all my mousing. Uh, some mice are ambidextrous, so you can switch that up as well. So I think it's time to move on to our tips section of the week. So it seems based on the notes that I'll be talking mostly about the tip, but Chris, please chime in at any time. I wanted to talk a little bit about organization. So in higher education, I think we are one of the professions that is most likely to have 30 tabs or more open in a browser. We're looking at articles, whether they be academic, articles about teaching, blog articles, news articles, professional articles, instructions, PDFs. We come across tons of stuff. I've always had a really tough time managing this information and then refinding it. It's very much a librarian thing. I deal with this a lot in terms of academic research, but even for day to day, it's something that is challenging. So I want to talk about article saving services. So first of all, what are they? So article saving services allow you to save articles and PDFs for later reading or for archiving. So it, it takes in an HTML web page and bookmarks it for you, or it'll often save it in a kind of a nice reader magazine format. A lot of the modern browsers, Firefox, Chrome, and Safari, uh, both on regular laptop computers or on desktops, as well as phones and tablets, have kind of a reader view built in. So it translates the kind of ugly text on a traditional website to something that's a little bit more pleasing, kind of like an ebook. A lot of these services will do that, but in addition to being bookmarking tools, it's cool because you can add in tags and notes to your saved articles, and that makes it easy to narrow them down by category. If you categorize a bunch of things that you find in one area, you can go back and find them. They also have pretty good search functionality. So there's quite a few of these services, and I use them mostly to stay organized. You can sync a lot of these services with social media. They're either web-based or they there's an app for every platform. They integrate with pretty much every browser. So I have a couple of recommendations for you. The one that I used for a long time, which was actually purchased by Mozilla, that's the, the company that makes Firefox, is called Pocket. So you can be on any web page. You can click the Pocket uh, extension that's installed in the browser, and it'll save that article into Pocket as a nice reader view. You have the ability to tag research later. It's free, and there's also a paid tier. I don't remember what the paid tier gives you in terms of functionality, but it's pretty solid. Another example of a web-based one, and I'm pointing out ones that aren't required for a particular platform is Pinboard. Pinboard used to be $11 US a year. It's actually gone up to a whole $22 a year. I would still say incredibly affordable. That's in US dollars. And what it is, is it's a web-based Pinboard service. So you can go to pinboard.in. And if you want to see an example of what a Pinboard looks like, you can go to pinboard.in slash e Christensen, so E-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-E-N. And that's my public bookmarks on Pinboard. It works very much the same as Pocket, except it doesn't have that nice reader view. But I'm not so much concerned about that. Pinboard is great because it's web-based. It works on everything. And you can actually create a custom bookmarklet for Pinboard. So it gives you a little bit of code to create a bookmark 
like a quick links bookmark. And anytime I go to a New York Times article or a blog article, I just click that and a mini browser window comes up and it's automatically pulls in the title of the article and it pulls in the URL and I can put in a description and put in tags. I can choose to make it private or I can make it public. I can mark it as read later, all of that stuff. So these services for saving articles and web pages are incredibly valuable because as we collect more information and more ed tech tools, you're gonna to wanna to get back to it. And I just think the ability to kind of curate your own list and tag them is pretty incredible. Yeah, and I, I personally, I've used the pocket uh, because it, again it is something that is included uh, as part of the Firefox um, uh, as a, a plug-in there uh, or an extension but um, uh, one thing that I found interesting when you showed me this pin board um, uh, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about it but you mentioned that it also can sync up to Twitter yeah so there's a couple of things that you can do with Pinboard in terms of social media. So once you have a, an account, you can kind of set up social media to be both an importer and you can also set it up to be an exporter. So the, the, the built-in settings for Twitter in Pinboard uh, lets you import bookmarks from up to three Twitter accounts. So I think that's when you go to uh, like something or you retweet something. I think there's a you can set it up in a certain way to where when you do that, let's say I like an article, it automatically goes into the pinboard system. I do it a little bit differently in terms of how I use pinboard to automatically post to Twitter. So I use a third party service combined with my pinboard account to share things to my network. So the nice thing about your pinboard account is that you can actually get an RSS feed, just like a podcast has an RSS feed. And you can create an RSS feed for your account and you can customize it so it can share basically all the things that you make public in your public pinboard. Mine are private by default, but a lot of the articles that I share are public. And I actually use a third party service called If This Then That. So that's IFTTT.com. And what that does is that that's a service, uh, a platform that lets you connect different services together. It requires a little bit more explanation. Perhaps this would be a good blog article or maybe even a, a video intro for our website. But ultimately what I've done is that I've said, I've gone into IF Triple T, I've taken that RSS feed link that I've got for my Pinboard account and I've, I've set up what's called an applet. So I found an RSS feed to Twitter applet and I just said, anytime there's something new posted in this RSS feed, which is from my Pinboard account, it posts it to my Twitter account for people to see. So it's kind of a handy way to share articles. That's a little bit more of a complicated setup. If you use Pocket, there is a more seamless social media integration. So that about wraps it up for this episode of EdTech Examined. Where can people reach you, Chris? You can reach me on my website, which is Chris Hans, Chris with a K, so K-R-I-S-H-A-N-S dot C-A. My handle on Twitter is at Chris Hans. And I'm Eric Christensen. You can reach me at ericchristensen.net. That's Eric with a K, so E-R-I-K-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-E-N dot net. 
or you can reach me on Twitter at E.G. Christensen. I also blog about the mobile tech industry at TechBytes. That's tech-bytes.net. Thanks very much, Chris. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you. For more info about EdTech Examined, visit edtechexamined.com. If you have tech questions for Chris and I, you can reach us at our email, hey at edtechexamined.com or on Twitter at edtechexamined.